Welcome to episode 26 of Blow and Win with the Great Southern Brain Fart. It's amazing what you can find when just digging for new music. One day I was sitting up late listening to Hope Sandoval and I decided to click on the Related Artists link. As I perused through the list, I saw Marissa Nadler and for some reason the name and the image just looked really interesting. So I clicked on it and the first song I listened to was a song called Drive off of her 2014 release, July. From there, I became a huge fan, and I found myself completely immersed in Nadler's 14-year career. This year, she released one of my favorite albums of the year, and what I feel is her best album yet, For My Crimes. And I feel more than lucky to have Marissa on the show today to speak with her. So, uh, Marissa, welcome. Oh, uh, thanks for having me, and thanks for all the nice words. Well, thank you for also not running scared from the um, blog name. that's all right yeah (laughs) yeah i've been persistent with you i've been trying to get to get to you for a while (laughs) i know i'm um well you got me at the right time and i know do you get that a lot the name (laughs) believe it or not you know sometimes some people are like I don't know that I want to talk to this person. And then some people are like, that's really fucking cool. Yeah. I want to talk to you just to see what, you're, I, it's, what it's about. Me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm into it now. So it's actually yeah, just a quick story. It's actually a play on words from um, uh, an, old, um, an old Pantera album called the great Southern <laughs> trend kill. And okay. my friend, a friend of mine in North Carolina used to call me the great Southern brain fart just because I have this habit of spouting off absolutely useless musical information in like the most inappropriate times and whatnot, you know? And so that kind of became my nickname. And when I decided to launch the blog, I was like, well, yeah, that, that doesn't sound like something that people would forget. So I think I'm going to go with that one, not thinking that there would be implications. So, (laughs) you know, yeah, you know what? It's memorable for sure. (laughs) <laughs> so yeah, it's still funny though. Every now and then, I'll be at a show, and somebody will be someone. I'll, I'll, I will I will hear someone yell "brain fart," and I'll go, I'll just turn around and just wave. You know, so it's so in my that's wife. your nickname, also. Huh? Yeah, it really is. It's like people think that's actually like my like my nickname or something. And my wife was like, <laughs> I don't. Know. She's like, she's like, I don't know if that, I'd like being walk, you know, being addressed as brain fart all the time. I was like, she's just Mrs. Brain fart. Mi- that's no. what they call, they actually do call her Mrs. Brain fart (laughs) but but she's she's okay with it you know she's she's a very intelligent woman you know so she's a but she's 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 learned to adjust (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. so well so right off the bat i just wanted to kind of kind of start in like kind of a sequential order was it like i said like when i first heard you um last year it was something that you know i you know i've i've been a singer-songwriter for gosh, 25 years or so. And um, 
I have a very broad palette of musical taste. You know, obviously I listen to, you know, I, co- I cover and I listen to a lot of hard rock and metal and psych rock and stuff, but I also play roots music and I play folk music. And so your music really kind of scratched that itch of, you know, the music that I need to go to, to get away from everything when everything gets a little heavy. So when I stumbled upon the, uh, the July, which is funny because it was, it was the, the July album that kind of I, I hit first as opposed to the one that was more current. And then I worked my way backwards and, um, just from there, I noticed that while, while you do have a formula of style, it never seems to get stagnant or old. It's like you just continue to grow on that. And is that something that you feel pretty, like, feel yourself as you're going from album to album? <clears throat> well, that's the goal, you know. Um, so I'm glad to hear that you think that. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, um, I definitely, I try to keep getting better, like mm-hmm. most people do at any pursuit. Um, and I think that, yeah, I mean, I get bored really easily, so I'm kind of always trying to shake it up. <laughs> That's so funny because I'm, I'm, I'm kind of the same way when it comes to writing. You know, it's like I, I, I can listen back and feel like I've written the same over the years but when i go back and listen i go oh i can definitely hear you know significant changes and significant growth from album to album so where you're at right now with um for my crimes um you just seems to you just seem to be in this really cool place like you've carried on this the the kind of storytelling that you that you normally do but there seems to be yeah, shall I say a, a, almost? In, in a, 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 it's hard to say. I'm trying to trying to find the right words. Like a, like a more accessible, but dark, but still dark. Except if I'm, that makes any sense, like mm-hmm. it's, a, it's like an accessible darkness as opposed to where some of your early albums might not have been as accessible to someone who just was hearing them and you know in the yeah. flyby. Do you know what I mean? I totally agree. Um, I think that when I was, I mean, I started making albums and releasing them at such a young age that I didn't think that um, you, that I would be kind of held accountable for them in some ways. Like, you know, Spotify didn't even exist when I put out my first record. So yeah. it's been kind of weird that these records that you used to have to really dig to find are just right up there on my discography now with all the rest of my newer stuff. Um, but I definitely started out, I think, kind of full-fledged weirdo. Um, <laughs> or, or, I mean, I didn't want to be thought of as a normal singer songwriter because right. I was an arts I was in art school and I hadn't really grown up yet and had I didn't want to be like coffee shop girl you know um <laughs> which I know exactly what you're talking about because I I've played with coffee shop girl a lot <laughs> you know so yeah and then yeah but as I got older I kind of like I've realized you know that there's the strength of music really lies within being able to reach a lot of people. Um, so I've kind of, there's very little shtick left in my uh, writing. I'm really trying to write songs that everybody can relate to. 
So one of the things that I was I was so drawn to, you know, especially like in, in you know going through your discography was, to me it felt like it kind of started with July, in my opinion, where I felt like you know with songs like Drive and you know Dead City Emily, where I was like, okay, it feels like she's really kind of got a grasp on something here, and to me that's where it felt like there seemed to be this growth and or, or and like kind of like you said kind of like a formulaic growth you know and then going into the next album obviously strangers was a growth on that but i i'm just completely just taken back by how much i loved for my crimes because i was expecting to like it like i liked the other ones but like i really loved this record do you know oh, what i good. mean uh, thank you i'm glad to hear it you know i there are a lot of changes in, in my approach to songwriting on this, that record, this record, actually, like conscious ones and, and conscious production changes mm-hmm. that I just, for one of the biggest ones is like a significant reduction in the amount of vocal reverb that I was using. Um, <laughs> and that's, I think, something that really kind of changes how I'm, how they reach people emotionally. Yeah. And I used different producers for this record that were more on the songwriting end of the production spectrum than they were sonic. Like, so they would just basically be giving me good feedback about songwriting, not, not song, not writing the songs, but saying, Oh yeah, that, that bridge is really strong. You should keep it in there. Kind of. <laughs> yeah, I could see that because it really helps sometimes to have an outside source, like you said, mm-hmm. not really putting their hands in the pot, but maybe helping to kind of stir a little bit, like to say, oh, you know what, maybe you should try this, or maybe you should keep that, don't throw that away. You know what I mean? Because I know for us as songwriters, it's very easy for us to discount something and say, oh, that's not any good, when someone else might be like, that's fucking great. <laughs> you should keep that. I know. You know? Uh, the danger just... is making sure that like you're the people that you do trust to be those listeners um, really know what they're talking about. Like I, mm-hmm. for young listeners out there, I think your, your biggest listener should always be yourself because I've, I've gone through phases with managers and things like that, where they've been like the wizard of Oz between me and the rest of the world. And um. Like, you definitely need to just get to a point where you realize which songs are good on your own, because so many people have such different taste um, that I've thrown away some good songs based on, like, one person's opinion and regretted it. (laughs) Yeah, and that kind of segues into my next question, was, was kind of building on what you were just talking about, was, so where you're at now, I mean, you're talking... You know, 14 years collectively under your belt of of releasing uh-huh. music. I mean, we, we've got, what, eight releases, eight self-releases, three EPs. Like, w- w- what has Marissa Nadler learned going into For My Crimes the most that you wish you would have learned, say, going into Sisters or whatever, you know? I I mean, for me, over the years, I've really learned that 
it, well, I, I'm kind of a believer in the strength of the song mm -hmm. as opposed to all other elements in on a record. So it kind of this dialogue between like what makes my songs either good or bad or stronger than the other songs I have kind of came from the success of this demo, Leave the Light On, that um, kind of got a ton of listens on Spotify and everybody was really perplexed because it was a... Um, home recording on a laptop internal microphone and a demo and everybody on my labels were like scratching their head it was a song that the producers had looked over and i always really liked it and um and it, it what i learned was just like okay if a song is really good I, you don't have to put a lot of money into it you don't have to spend your entire record label advance on a producer you don't need to buy fancy gear like you just need to sit and work on the songs um because like anything sounds cool with atmosphere but i think a song isn't much of a song if you strip it away and there's it can't stand on its own in its barest form um so i'm a real like craftsman that way just in terms of I want to be able to play the song solo if I have to and have mm -hmm. them be just as good. See, I love that because a few years, a couple of years ago, I, I did an acoustic EP of all heavy metal covers because mm -hmm. I was doing this. I, I kind of did it as an experiment to kind of touch on what you were just talking about where I was, I took some of my favorite heavy metal songs and I just stripped them to the core uh, and I just played them on acoustic guitar and vocals. And one of the things I was trying to get across was exactly what you said, is that no matter how many layers of instruments or how much polish or how much, you know, spackle or whatever you throw on top of a song, that if you can't strip it down to the studs and it stands up on its own, then it's not really a good song. Yeah. And I'm um, like... So that was, yeah, leave, I mean, I'm on the same page as you about that, basically. Mm -hmm. That's been the biggest change is I think early in my career, I was kind of like really focusing on atmosphere. And um, I just, I think part of like my success in growing instead of weakening as a songwriter over all these years has to do with a lack of a huge success the whole time like i think once you get really successful at something you tend to get lazy um, mm. <laughs> and so which is very true yeah so part of me i'm kind of grateful for having been like having mostly a cult following for quite a while it's changing now and things are getting better more people are at the shows and stuff and getting radio play but at, at my core all those years of um playing dive bars really made me a better musician um yeah because i mean you went from playing dive bars and coffee houses to touring with ghost and like mm -hmm. <laughs> of all bands you even toured with paul bearer or did some shows with them i think if, if my yeah, friend they're friends of mine yeah, yeah. um I have that big metal crossover just because of uh, some of these collaborations that I've done. And, mm -hmm. and I think all the darkness and the lyrical content of my music. Um, but ghost was an interest was definitely the biggest crowds I've ever played for um, on that tour. 
And how was that? Because, I mean, I, I know you've talked about it before, but I, I mean, I, I'd like to hear it just straight from you myself. Like, because, I mean, as a singer, as a singer, like I said, I, well, I have a band right now and we, we just played our biggest show to date opening up for uh, Amigo the Devil recently. Mm-hmm. And I was just like about to lose control of myself you know what I mean because I was like that is so many people out there I don't I've never seen that many people in a room when I walked out on a stage so I can't even imagine the magnitude of you walking out onto a stage in those in that size of rooms like like what did you do or, or or what did you what was your secret to gaining control because what I heard from people that saw you on that on some of those ghost shows was that you owned the stage when you were out there? <laughs> yeah, well, it took a lot of work to get there, I think. I mean, when, when I was first announced on that tour, I got a lot of like hate mail from people. Of course like, you did. I saw <laughs> a lot of really mean things about me on the internet. Like, who is the, can I swear on this podcast? You can, you, you can do whatever the fuck you want. I'm going to okay. swear right now because it's mine. You can say whatever yeah. you want. <laughs> Yeah, well, there's, there's good. There are these. Um, it's actually weirdly a lot of women, which made me very sad because <laughs> I'm like a very uh, like a feminist and a really like somebody that's really paid her dues, you know. And I was right. just like, why am I getting attacked by these people that don't even know me? And mo- most of the feedback was like, who is this bitch? Like, isn't she a fucking indie singer? Like, why is she, why did Papa pick her? Like. <laughs> It was just like great, crazy stuff. And so I was terrified to stand up on their stage. I thought I was going to get like uh, stuff thrown at me. And I did get heckled a bit. Um, and that was a tour where I started to use in-ear monitors, which really helped. Basically. <laughs> <laughs> so you can't hear anybody saying anything to you. And you're just kind of in your own world. And I had a great guitar player with me named Milky Burgess and we played as a duo and yes. I kind of just handpicked my gothiest songs which was not hard to do because there's a lot of them and mm-hmm. um, <laughs> <laughs> kind of threw in the Danzig cover and the Black Sabbath cover just but right but it was it was a hard tour and the tour that really officially got me over my stage fright once and for all. So thank you, ghost. <laughs> <laughs> I remember I, I read something where, yeah, or, or I watched it on a previous interview of yours. Cause I, I watched some interviews that you've done previously uh, just to try to get an idea of, 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 you know, how, how you are in an in interview setting. And one of the things that struck me the most, and of course, I'm not going to say this verbatim because I can't remember the exact way you said it, but you said something about like, don't don't like don't 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 can let yourself think that things are impossible just go out and do it and then by doing it it's going to make you strong mm-hmm. you know and i thought that was such an incredibly inspiring thing because i read that before before heard that interview before my band's show on saturday night <laughs> and i actually took that with me and i thought to myself you know what i deserve to be here I've worked hard and no matter what anyone says, like I'm just going to go out there and I'm going to play my best and I'm going to play my hardest and my band is going to do our best. And we ended up doing well. And I was like, Oh, I can't wait to thank Marissa for that. Oh, little. <laughs> that makes me really happy. Yeah. It's, it, there is a lot of that personal cheerleading that you have to do. I think when you're 
I mean, at the end of the day, like nobody gives a shit. And <laughs> like they, if you can't do a good job for yourself, there's really like, there's no reason if it's, if it's, it's, I mean, I definitely have, have to sometimes give myself a pep talk, like really pregame, get the energy up. Cause people, I think, I don't know what it's like to be in like a metal band. I'm sure it's a lot more fun than being like a solo woman musician. Cause <laughs> yeah, I haven't been in a metal band since 94. So I've been playing like the, okay, I've been so, playing yeah, roots rock of- and it's the same oh, thing, cool. you know? So it's, you know, what's the name of your band? Collins drive. Okay, cool. Yeah. Check it out. Yeah. But I'm like you, like I did the solo thing for so many years, you know? And I was just like, people don't know what it's like or how hard it is to walk into a room, like lugging a PA and then setting it up and then sitting in the corner and playing these songs that you wrote while people talk and drink cappuccinos and stuff and I'm like will somebody listen <laughs> oh know? yeah so. I mean it, 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 the thing is there's going to be talkers even when you get up like I recently did an opening slot for a band that one would think would share a demographic with me and it was in my own hometown or my own state and mm-hmm. I got brutally talked through to the point where I was in this was only like a month ago like in tears by the end and it was oh. just because oh you know it wasn't my crowd but it, it there are obstacles throughout <laughs> and kind of just like have to have a long term you have to look ahead sometimes being a solo artist is like one of the most comp and I've, I've said this to so many people is that you know since i've had this you know i've had this band for about five years now and um, I still go out and do solo shows every now and then, mainly just because that's where I, I get my inspiration, you know, just being in a car by myself, traveling to a show, playing to five people, meeting new people or whatever. But I was I always tell folks, I said, you know, you think it's brutal out there? I said, you try being one person with a guitar and a mic and <laughs> you know, in front of an audience that does not want to see you. <laughs> you know, that's brutal, yeah. you know. It so. is brutal. I mean, this is kind of why, like, and it's funny, you really can't win. Like, if they're, I've taken that to heart and then put together full bands for tours and then all I hear is, oh, I like you so much better solo. And then when I play solo, people are like, I really miss the cello or something. <laughs> and it's like, God, leave me the fuck alone. <laughs> uh, so, you get a lot of unsolicited um, advice. It's funny because when I put out my little metal EP of folk songs, uh, like I had so many people message me and go, Hey, when are you gonna ever gonna do that live? And I'm like, you know what? I played solo for years and nobody came. So no, I'm not, you know. Like yeah. when I'm ready, I'll let you know. <laughs> you know? But it's like exactly. you know, and now I have a band and like you try to get people to come see your band and then they're like, Oh, but it's too loud. And I'm like, <laughs> Okay, I can't win, you know, so. Yeah, it is very hard to win. <laughs> well, so one of the things I always thought was interesting that I learned about you is that you grew up, I mean, uh, you grew up a Courtney Love fan. You were a big Courtney Love fan. You you were very inspired by uh, grunge. Yeah. I really do feel that, that some of that comes through 
in some of your songs, especially on songs like uh, Dead City Emily, which I always thought could have been a, uh, I don't know, if for some reason in my mind, whenever I heard that song, I was like, that could have been an Alice in Chains song. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I just mm-hmm. thought that was such a strong, you know, powerful song. Um, how much of that has kind of bled into your psyche when it comes to writing or have you kind of left that behind as more of a past influence? I think it's like influences in general are always there. Like I, I don't really consciously emulate anything or anybody when I'm writing, but like I really think as a human, like everything you experience from and anything you've ever been into kind of gets into your, your writing songwriting DNA. Like, and so I, when I write a song, I think it's just all all there at the same time. But I'm still, like I'd say, I'm still just as much influenced by that stuff as I am like Leonard Cohen or something. Even in the newest record, like Blue Vapor is a pretty grungy song. Mm-hmm. And speaking of Hole, has the drummer from Hole on that song. Um, Patty Schemmel, which was pretty cool. That is awesome. I did not. I did not pay attention to that. Um, I should yeah. have done more homework. <laughs> no, it's okay. Yeah. So, and then there's Kristen from Dum Dum Girls that sings um, the harmony on yes. that song. Yes, that I did know. Yes, yes, that's awesome. I mean, that must have been cool for you though to have have like pieces of like, wow, this is like some of my heroes working with me. Exactly. I had definitely tried to play it cool. But I was really excited about um, Patty and everything. <laughs> that is that is amazing because um, y- when you get to that status where you do get to work with people that you really admire, it, trying to keep your cool, I can imagine. Uh, I did a duet with uh, Caitlin Carey on our last album. That was um, she was a member of Whiskey Town, who's oh, one yeah, of my I, favorite I records. Know. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah. I mean, I, I for oh, the better part of a week, I I was I couldn't sleep, you know, because I was yeah. so ecstatic and like you know. But at the same time, it's kind of like you said, like you have to step away from it after all and go, okay, yeah, this was cool, but I've got a job to do. I got to keep going. I can't get hung up on this, you know. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so um, I actually know um, Phil Wandisher, who was the original other guitar player in Whiskey Town. Yes! With, um, Jesse Sykes and the Be Hereafter now, who, if you haven't heard her and you like me, you probably love her too. But yeah, I, I used to listen to that band a lot. Oh my gosh, yeah. Oh God, we could probably do like a... F- 40 minute podcast on whiskey town i'm sure you know because that was mm-hmm. like they were one of my favorites you know just listen you know whiskey town driving and crying bands like that is you know kind of where i kind of formulated my whole later years of as a songwriter you know mm-hmm. um but so where did the metal interest come in because you know you talked about you did the danzig you know we know you've done the danzig cover you've done an amazing cover of solitude by black sabbath thank you um what 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 brought that on was was metal something that was new to you or was it something that you kind of that was that, that was always a part of you that you were like i'm gonna i'm gonna do this in in the nadler style I am um, trying to think. It all kind of happened. I can, well, 
my first records called Ballads of Living and Dying. So I always had like a lot of goths into my music (laughs) and I'm a very, um, kind of gothy. So, you know, I didn't wear black for 10 years. I mean, didn't wear any colors, but black for a long time. And, but I think the first like real crossover thing I did was the, um, Zaster record, which was in 06, I think, which was, he's a black metal, one man black metal band. And he right. like kind of loves finger picking and really got crazy about my music and asked me to sing on that record, um, Portal of Sorrow. And <laughs> from there, I just kept getting kind of grouped in, although I didn't really listen to metal growing up. Like, mm-hmm. I, to be honest, I was not like a metalhead in high school or anything, but I mean, I don't really consider Black Sabbath metal, so I kind of think of them as a classic rock band, mm-hmm. um, which might be controversial, but so like, and then Danzig too, like the genres in general are kind of blurry for me because I could make the argument that um, Danzig's like a pretty traditional songwriter at heart, like mm-hmm. um, just basically will cover anything I really like. But um, I like metal heads because they're like more outsidery. Out, <laughs> usually, like the Ghost fans were so nice, and that kind of reminded me of like what I was like in high school, kind of because it's a young fan base. You know, it's funny. I grew up as a metalhead in the '80s and in the '90s, and I, I remember my parents always kind of defending me and my friends to other people, you know, by saying like, you know, you know, these, these metal kids, they're, they're very open-minded and they're very, you know, know, for the most part, well-spoken, you know, and like, you know, they're very into literature and reading and, you know, they're not just burnouts like you think they are, you know, and, um, and, in my experience, especially as a writer, you know, working in the hard rock and metal scene, I've seen a lot of that, you know, where there is a lot of versatility. I've met a lot of people like myself who, you know, you'll see at, you'll see them at a Guar show. And then two nights later they were going to see, you know, Tom Petty or they were going to, you know what I mean? Like there's mm-hmm. just like, if you know, the, the, the like to me, there was never any such thing as a guilty pleasure. It, everything is a pleasure if you like it. You know, it, you shouldn't feel guilty about anything. You know? I know. I, I, I'm kind of glad. Like the era of music blogs, like having all the influences over, because I think people are starting to make up their own minds again about what's cool and what isn't, um, based on just what they like. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean because really the whole the whole concept behind the blog and even like my podcast was like I actually started the podcast because I used to do so many interviews for my blog that people said I would love to hear your conversations with these people and hear how you connect with them and oh I don't really believe that you connected with so and so on the level that you did I think you might have fudged that a little bit <laughs> you know what I mean and I was like. Well, I'm not a journalist though, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a music fan and I'm a musician. And so I'm going to talk to them like a musician and a music fan, not as like an Uber freak fan, you know what I mean? But at the same time, not as a like, so Marissa, tell me 
why did you start playing guitar? Do you know what I mean? Like oh things like that, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> which, which is funny because it kind of leads me into what I was going to talk to you about was like, like in watching some of the interviews that you did, I have to say I was a little nervous because I was like, this poor woman does not look like she's having a good time. Oh <laughs> like, no. And which interview? <laughs> no, well, it, it, it was, it was one of them that was like, it was like a little awkward. It was like, um, it was actually, I think you were having a good time, but I think it was just like that it was like with a little kid in New York and I was just like for some reason I was just like I can tell that she's kind of like holding back a little bit or that she's like I don't really know what to say to this you know what I mean Mm -hmm. although the kid had some awesome questions I had to say yeah he's a cool kid I just it was uh, adjusting to I mean being asked questions by somebody that young, being delicate, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, you are also, you know, yourself a very kind of, you know, you know, and I don't mean this in a negative way, but you're very, there's a lot of mystique around you, in my opinion. You know, you're, you're, you seem to be a very, you know, calm person and, you know, maybe even slightly, maybe have some introverted tendencies or whatever. Um Oh, I'm like, not just some introverted tendencies, I'm a hundred percent an introvert. And um, it, it is interesting because I'm like, I think a lot of musicians are are introverts oh, yeah. or a combination of introvert, extrovert, but like it, it makes it hard to do the super performance aspects part of the job because songwriting is for me the the most important thing, but then I have to like dress up and <laughs> give good face or whatever. I mean, I hate to say it, but and present yourself and like go out yeah. and sing well and not, you know, forget lyrics and and then on top of that, you have to meet fans. Like, you know, I mean, I don't really have that problem, but is it hard for you to like meet your fans and whatnot? I mean, um No, I love meeting. I mean, it will you know, case by case basis. Mm-hmm. I <laughs> almost everybody I meet is amazing. And, you know, every once in a while you get like um, somebody will say something that's a little bit creepy. Um, I mean, <laughs> I can't even imagine. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> just being like such a confessional songwriter. I think sometimes I get a lot of like heavy stuff said to me, like your music, like, like right at the merch table when I'm kind of trying to sell a record, it'll, it'll be like all of a sudden we're talking about suicide. And, um, and I think that's just because of the dark n- nature uh, of my m- music. And, right. I can, yeah, I can, I can imagine because especially when you play, I mean, because you, you know, you, your, your music is pretty intense, you know, but like I said, in a sense that like for me as a music, music lover and as a as a fan of lyrics and stories um you know i i i, I can see how it can attract a certain kind of conversation that you may want to be like i don't really want to have this conversation with you <laughs> right now because you know that's a song that i wrote and like you know kind of take it for what it is but you know yeah I'm too polite too, so I get myself in like trouble. I have a really hard time walking away from conversations. So, (sighs) see, so so do I. My my, you're you're talking about how our all musicians are kind of like you know 
socially awkward or like my therapist actually told me I was a, I was what he calls a selective extrovert. And I was like, what the hell is that? And he was like, you don't mind being around people, but you, it's people of your choosing, you know, like, you know, like, that sounds I, familiar. you know, <laughs> like, like, like I don't mind going to dinner with like three or four friends and hanging out and totally dorking out with music. But if a fifth guy shows up that I don't know, I completely shut the fuck down. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm just like, who is this person yeah. and why did they infiltrate my circle? You know? Sounds very familiar, yeah. <laughs> so, so, like, you know, when we had all these people coming up to a Saturday night, I literally, after our show, I looked at my, my, my bass player and I was like, can you just man the merch table so I can just go breathe for about 10 minutes? Like, I just got it. Was, it was so much. And I was like, I can't even imagine what you how that must feel for you on, like I said, like on, on, on such a grander scale, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, so one of the things I loved about, um, I wanted to ask you about on the new album was they're kind of like, almost like right off the bat, you, you open up with pretty much a murder ballad, which I absolutely loved, which was, um, you know, the title track. Um, and then you kind of go into this, um, this kind of theme of lost where you had, I can't listen to Gene Clark without you anymore. And then like, are you really going to move? Are you really going to move to the South? Um, Are, are when you're writing like that, is, is it thematically writing from like a storytelling thing or, or are you digging kind of personal or is it one kind of both? It's both. Like I think a lot of, uh, this particular record, I think a lot of people got wrong in the press cycle, like just mm-hmm. in terms of assuming that I was writing from the first person narrative, if I use the word I, and um, I think that's just a naive assumption to make for a writer. Because, um, mm-hmm. for instance, for my crimes, while I'm speaking in first person, it isn't really necessarily about me Um and it, it, I kind of intended it to be more like an every man or every woman narrat- narrator. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but, and, and songs like, are you really going to move to the South and Jean Clark? Like they're undeniably personal and there's no other way to spin it though. Um, I will, will say I use a lot of liberties in songwriting. I mean, if word sounds good, I'm going to use it over one that makes more sense because mm-hmm. I, that's, I'll always pick music over you know what i mean wordiness i guess right because there's also this way of of as being a songwriter of being able to take a song and say that it's like a story but then in injecting part of yourself into that story so that it might not all be about you but you don't necessarily have to disclose how much of it is about you and how much of it isn't you know yeah like initially when they were writing the bio for this record, I, mm-hmm. I wanted it to have like nothing about my personal life whatsoever. And like, <laughs> so much and, that. Um, well, I have a new manager now. So um, I, I, I got mad because I spent all this time working on these songs that were, you know, really intended to be universal songs in the way that like a country songs, like that Willie Nelson writes or whatever. I mean, they're, that was like kind of the the world of songwriting that I was pulling from was that like melodramatic um, uh, 
these like I can't listen to this anymore and that's the chorus and I really didn't intend for it to come across like a full first person confessional woe is me (laughs) thing and I think that uh, like you know that happens when music writers are not getting paid a lot and like (laughs) listen to your record for three seconds even though you've spent years of your life on it and they read the bio and regurgitate the bio. I mean, this isn't all music writers. Like, for every shitty one, there's a good one. But, like, <laughs> there, unfortunately, there's no vetting process. Like, I don't know what, like, school of journalism a lot of these writers are going to these days. But, like, the lack of uh, knowledge about music history, even, is kind of astounding sometimes. Like, oh, yeah. I mean, well, uh, well, I hope you – I hope – I hope I, – I hope you'll like my review of the album when it I'm comes sure out. I'm sure I will. I mean, it's, it's normally just like a little bit perplexing when people uh, really get it wrong. And I'm like, did you even fucking listen to this? And I mean, that's my other real lesson I've learned is like, you really cannot give a shit what people think because it is a losing battle, especially when... Even if you're making good songs, people will start to grade you on a cur- like a, a curve of what you're, you've done before. So it's like consistency is considered a bad thing in the arts, which I'm just newly discovering. Oh, um, it's like, it, it, yeah, it's if people can't find something bad to say, they're just like, well, this is stylistically similar. And I don't know if people ever said that to like Elliot Smith. I wonder if it's a criticism that more often than not women get. Um, you know, which like, is so funny because that's why I was like when I was telling you about it. Is, is that like you know, like to me when I was listening to your material, is is that like you know, while I de- you know, there, there's there's a formulaic process. But I can hear the group, but maybe, but that also might be because I'm a songwriter. Do you know what I mean? So I expect, so I listen with more of a a judgmental ear, and like not so much like a like a oh, it all sounds the same. You well, know? yeah, I mean, I think that on the surface, like if you write a lot of down tempo songs, and you're not really, I mean, I. I just, it's, it's weird. It's like, I don't know why having a style is considered a bad thing. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I never figured that out either. Like, I remember I used to argue with people all the time that said, you know, oh man, ACDC's made the same album like 20 times. I'm like, that is so not true. I said, because Highway to Hell. I said, you know, your flick of the switch is nowhere nearly as good as Highway to Hell. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, it may sound the same to you, but you listen to every ACDC album in sequential order, and you'll sing a totally different story when you're yeah. listening and not just passing judgment based on, like, oh, it, you know, it sonically sounds the same or it sonically yeah. sounds similar to the other thing because they're not. They're all different. It's, yeah, that's why I get. I was like a little like this record for me sounds entirely different than any of my other records. Completely, especially sonically. And so I was just like, "What the fuck? Like, <laughs> what are you not getting?" Some of the reviews, <laughs> like, how hard is it to a b this shit on Spotify and see that there are massive differences? But you know, I only spent a couple hours getting worked up about that, and then I was back to work because I don't make music for music reviewers. I make it for people and for myself, and that is a took me a long time to get to that place but uh where i really truly could give a fuck uh, but yeah 
<laughs> and it's probably oh, even and it's probably even harder when you didn't set out to to do do it on this level in the first place, and then you get there, and then like you said, it's probably even harder to eventually stop giving a fuck because you're like, I didn't give a fuck when I started. Why should I now? <laughs> you know, you're making me. You know, like yeah, I, I just. I'm of the camp that, I mean, I've taught art. I'm, I went to art school. Like I'm kind of just very pro expression. I know that sounds cheesy because I'm kind of an art teacher and at times in my adult life. So Mm -hmm. I, I don't ever understand the point of releasing negative things into the like negative energy, like snobby reviews like i think it's such well at least for american artists and some other obviously countries that have a lot worse (laughs) but you know there's also countries that have it a lot better in terms of uh support from the government or like feeling like the arts are supported so like sweden is really yeah (laughs) like seriously i have so um, many swedish friends who are in bands you know that are just like oh yeah they pretty much pay for our rehearsal space and stuff and i'm just like wow that's awesome you know like yeah you definitely don't get that with uh being an american musician so it is i'm always just like well i think people the art artists can use all the help they can get it's it's not a bad way to be alive no your whole purpose is to kind of release beauty into the world um Though I think that like it's questionable. That's why sometimes I've like been like, all right, I'm gonna teach kids for a while, or you get jaded sometimes. I, I do at least mm-hmm. like worthwhileness. So. You know, when you're playing enough dive bars. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, that's the thing is that you know, like to switch it up from time to time. You know, to to kind of. Um, you know, like you said, to, to, to maybe change, change your, you know, trajectory a little bit sometimes can kind of almost re-humble you a little bit and kind of rekindle a flame for that artistic side that you might feel like got snuffed out a little bit, whether it was like, cause you got burned out or, you know, I mean, it's, it's why I'm a writer, you know, I mean, well, I'm a musician, but I'm also a writer. And so when when i feel like my music has kind of burned me out or kind of weighed heavy on me i can turn to my writing but then when i'm writing for a while then all of a sudden i miss the music you know and it kind of takes exactly. me back you know i have the same kind of problem with um being a fine artist kind mm-hmm. of just uh, i get i had some jerk on instagram right like you paint very well you sing very well maybe you should pick one and I was just like, and I blocked him, and then I get like, and I block people like immediately if they write something like that. I just didn't even want to get involved in making an argument why that was kind of an offensive statement. And um, <laughs> there is nothing wrong with that because you know what? Even on my level, I do that shit too. Like I am, I, it's like I have, uh, I, I have enough time obsessing over whether or not. I accidentally threw one of my wife's shirts in the dryer and when it should have been hung up, like I don't have the time to argue with somebody about stupid shit. Like I'll debate 
and I will have a conversation with you. But if you're just going to come back at me and be like, oh, you're some fat dude that lives in your mom's basement. You don't know what you're talking about. I'm just going to I'm just going to block you and be like, yeah, forget it. I'm done. Immediately blocked. <laughs> <Yeah>. Yes. <laughs> I have a long block list. Yes. I just think people think they can say whatever they want to certain people because uh, it's insta or you know there's not a lot of boundaries between the artists and the um audience these days so it that's a good thing and a bad thing it really it really can be i i remember asked uh, of i interviewed the um bass player for skid row many years ago one of the things we were talking about was social media and one of the things he said was he said that as that he loved the aspect of having this direct connection to fans but now there's no more mystique between the fan and the artist. Like it, it's almost like you get to, you know, if you choose to do a social media route, then you're, there's no mystique to you anymore. You know, you're just, yeah. you're opening yourself to like people talking to you just like they've known you for 30 years. And you're like, I don't really want to talk to all these people, you know, yeah, but like, like I'm an introvert. So I just like get really drained by social media a lot of the time. And it's really part of the job these days. Like nobody else knows about your shows if you don't post about them. And um, so every job has its shitty things for me that like luckily Instagram's fun because I'm a visual person, so that's easy for easier for me than Twitter. Oh yeah, oh I I I got rid of because tw- to me Twitter was exactly like what I was saying. It was like talking to a group of people I did not want to talk to, so I just I linked my Facebook page to the Twitter page so that it just updates on its own, and I never even go on Twitter. I I can't handle it. It's just too much. Like Instagram, I love, because like you said, I'm a visual creature myself. Like, I love looking at visuals and, you know, people's live shots and people's art and people's, you know, you know, kids with cake smeared all over their faces or whatever, you know, like, that's fine, you know, but (laughs) I'd rather do that, but, uh, well, so just to wrap things up, um, one of the things I wanted to t- uh, ask you about that I've always wanted to ask all my mu- all my musician friends when I talk to them that I for some reason you're the first one I'm going to ask this to um, because I heard an interview one time and these guys were, it was a podcast and these guys were talking back and forth about Pink Floyd and they were like they're like you know what do you th- what do you imagine. You, you know, like, like, do you think David Gilmore ever sits around and imagines what people are doing while they're listening to Dark Side of the Moon, like, besides getting high? Like, <laughs> like, do you ever, like, try to imagine in your mind, like, what you, what your fans might be doing while, the, while they're listening to your music? Like, yeah, I mean, a lot of people write me and tell me, so it takes the imagination out of it. But, mm-hmm. you know, funny enough, a lot of people find my music very relaxing it's just like i'm not a very relaxed person but that's kind of i think why i make that kind of music is uh it i need the medicine too it kind of soothes me to write these down tempo things so some people write like oh i listen to you at night while i'm painting or on a long car ride and stuff like that it's i like it though like those letters sorry i hope i haven't been making too much noise in the background no you're totally fine now i'm um making some well i wasn't making the candles i was just like 
doing some OCD hot glue gunning of the wick into the metal tin. I will be honest. I love it because to me, because this is what I want. I want like my podcast to be is I want it to be a convert. Like if you were talking on the phone with a friend, you would probably be doing this too. You know, um, yeah. I did an interview with this one guy and I can't remember who it was, but he was noodling on his guitar. The whole time. And I was just like, are you playing your guitar? He started laughing and he's like, every time I'm on the fucking phone, I play my guitar just because like, I'm so, you know, you know, know, ADD. I have to constantly have something going (laughs) on with my, like, I have my earphones in. I know. So am I. Like, if I'm on the phone with a friend, he's like, are you cleaning your house again? And I'm like, yes. You know, (laughs) so it's like, I totally get it. You know, we are in the era of multitasking. That's for sure. Uh, It's great for us ADD people, though. I tell (laughs) you. <laughs> you it know, is, like, yeah. you know, cell phones and like the headphones and we don't have to have our hands on anything. It's like, I, you know, I can I can get my whole house clean in a 45 minute phone conversation. You know? So exactly. But, it, but it's I think people are more relaxed when they're not like having the idle hands. Oh, I, I mean, I, I think that's an art, very artistic thing, too. Um, my because actually it, it, the, the funny thing was you were talking about um uh, what people say so like you are my journaling music like that I whenever I whenever I'm journaling in the evenings that's what I'm listening to and I told my wife this morning before she went out of town to, to be with her folks I said oh I'm interviewing Marissa Nadler today and she goes now who's that and I was like you know the, she was like oh the journaling girl you know like so like <laughs> you know, she remembered you just because like whenever I'm journaling at night that's what I'm listening to you know oh so, well that's really sweet so <laughs> that makes me happy well it's cool journaling girl. you are hey that could be a song title though you know you can have yeah. you can have it thank you <laughs> <laughs> well I guess to close out I'm going to ask you the obvious like what are your touring plans I know, I know you've done I know you've got some dates um, posted you've got some mm-hmm. more coming up but the album's still pretty new so I'm kind of hoping that we'll see some more extensive dates you know yeah, going you will. Next where year. are you located again I'm in Atlanta Oh yeah. I mean, I want to come back to Atlanta. Last time I played Atlanta, there was a, it was a rough turnout for some reason. Um, Where were you like, at? Do you remember? I was at the, um, it was the Earl, I think. Oh, at the but Earl. Okay. I don't know okay. why there was nobody there, but um, I am going to come back. Like there's, yeah, definitely plans to come do more touring all throughout the year. It's just kind of like I'm. I do better with little spurts because the long tours are just brutal. So. Yeah. Because matter of fact, <laughs> I remember when I talked to, when I fr- I first messaged you on Instagram. I said, "Please come to Atlanta," and you were like, "I was just there," <laughs> and I was like, "Shit, I missed it." Now I'm gonna I have to wait. There. Like, <laughs> I think there was like three people at that show. Oh, see, and I would have loved to have been. I would have loved to have been four, you know. But like, it was just Me so too. funny because you were just like, "I was just there," and I was like, "Oh." great i went to wait like a year and a half <laughs> you know, so. maybe longer because it was such a rough one but yeah no i'll let you know when i do come to those parts well absolutely well um well thank you so much for taking the time to talk today i appreciate it and um it, it, congratulations on an incredible record and Thank you oh, for thanks. opening yourself up to talk with me and for um, just for giving me some incredible music as a fan. I, I love everything you do. 
Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. And it's nice to meet you finally on the phone. Yes, same here. Same here. So, well, you take care and have a great holiday. Thank you. You too. Then we saw 